Hi, this is Derek Karp, the founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. And I'm excited to do another episode in the series of professional journey shares and uh, uh, career paths and how people ended up where they are in OT and ICS cybersecurity. And today, my next guest is David Brearley, Operational Technology Cybersecurity Director at HDR. And David is a husband, he's a sailor, he's a chef, he's a programmer, uh, he is a controls and cybersecurity enthusiast and a general outdoor enthusiast, uh, which is something that we have in common. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you. All right. Uh, so, David, I know you know, you and I have talked and, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. You know, we'll, we'll end up where you are now but at, at an architectural engineering firm that takes this seriously. That's not necessarily categorically not, not talking about necessarily HDR. That's that's maybe a new a newer thing. And so that's sort of what I think what's exciting to sort of end up we know where you are today. But let's go back. Uh, and I always like to say that, uh, you know, uh, cybersecurity people are sort of modern day superheroes and all superheroes have a backstory. You know, where, uh, where, where did you come from? So I started my career in controls almost accidentally. So I was out searching for an internship sophomore year in college and landed an internship with at the time GE um, team controls. Um, came in as a intern programmer working on industrial control systems. Prior to that, really knew uh, nothing about it. Ended up taking a full-time role with them upon graduation and kind of lived the controls life up until about seven years ago and, and switched hats. I called it going to the dark side. You know, I've always worked behind the engineers and um, took on the engineering or AE type role to now um, be that owner's consultant or provide that, that bigger picture guidance. Well, let's go. Let's go all the way back then. Where did you Where did you grow up? Uh, grew up in New Jersey. Lived kind of the beach life, just off of uh, Long Beach Island, straight east of Philadelphia. Um, ended up at school in South Carolina by happen circumstance, making tours, visiting some schools, and went pulling on doors and locked door. Guy behind door opened up the uh, the door for me. Said, "Hey, what are we doing here, son? What can I help you with?" And it happened to be the dean of admissions. For the College of Engineering, he took us on a two-hour impromptu tour, and it kind of started the whole thing. Any technology intersection with your life uh, prior to that? Uh, prior to that, there, the part of the reason I started looking at engineering and specifically computer engineering, a you know, child of the 80s, I uh, got into some internet programming in high school. Um, took a class where I um, actually stuck with it for about 18 months, uh, building some websites for some of the schools, uh, charter schools that were coming online in, in New Jersey at the time. Um, it was a charter school organization, learned a lot behind the scenes, uh, started getting asked to do some of our server maintenance, server development for the school itself because we were loading up their servers. Uh, took the interest and started running with it. And so when you went to uh, University of South Carolina and, and, and chose the computer engineering, as you mentioned, what were you what were you thinking of doing? What was your you know idea? Obviously, something changes a lot for college students. Did you have a... <laughs> an idea of what you wanted to do yet? I was trying to figure out the idea. Um, I, I knew I really enjoyed the coding. Some folks I spoke to along the way that were on their career paths, you know, said, don't pigeonhole yourself into doing just code. Make sure you understand the ecosystem. So looking at the, the computer engineering side, it looked like you had a great balance of understanding the electronics, the code, the networks, everything together. And, you know, by the time I landed at Team Controls, I was still figuring that out, but got really excited by, hey, let's go out in the field, watch this code light up something real in the world, right? It, it's it's really unique when you push the button and you hear a motor come on in the background, and that kind of got me hooked. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And so I, you mentioned um, an internship with a little little company that you went to after college, uh, GE. Talk about that because I think you know we we have in our twenty five thousand community members, everybody you know from from CISOs all the way down to you know college students that are saying, I want to get into the space. You know, what do I do next? So you chose an internship. Uh, it wasn't, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it wasn't cybersecurity yet, but it was getting you into operational technology exposure. Did you have, how did that come about? And, and you know, what was the power of, of that internship? Yeah, so the internship itself, something the school is really pushing. And I had a great advisor in college. And one of the things he said was, you're only going to get a school which you put into it. And the book is only going to be so much. So he was a big proponent of get out, see it, live it. Um, even went so far as saying, you know what? This is your chance to go out and see if you like it. Because if you don't, it's a lot easier to change your career while you're still in school, right? It doesn't cost you that much time or money if you're going to make that change versus being miserable later. So it really took that to heart. Um, ended up doing multiple rotations on that program. The, the climate was very similar to today's market where, you know, walked into GE at the time, they were short staffed, understaffed, loaded with work. Um, my mentor um, in that program, working with uh, working under Alan Hinchman, he was previously with CH2 and others, um, really treated me day one like a entry level engineer. Here's your project, here's your scope, here's your budget, here's your manuals. Go figure out how to program this lift station or this well. I forget which one it was, but it was a you know trial by fire because you had to be. It's the only way we can lift. Any, uh, it will, we're going to get to it if it's later, so that I don't want to jump ahead. But any cybersecurity discussion or inkling of, of that at that stage, at that step? So this was still back in the days of control systems integrators. Put it in, make it work. Worry about availability and uh, not uh, maybe. It. Yep, make make it happen. And, and, and we never really thought about it. And as, over 15, 18 years, we, we can go through that history, but you started to see it become part of the conversation or we started to drive that conversation as the career and, and the market progressed. Yeah, and, and, and that makes sense. I mean, that, that that's where things were. So you're on that path where it's it's about the OT, it's about the operating technology and, and you're cutting your teeth on uh, a variety of systems. Uh, that's a common path, you know. There's people who either you know IT and cyber, and then learn engineering. L less or so, I think it's more common people have engineering and OT backgrounds and are learning or adding cyber. And so we'll get to where that is in for you. I I'd say we've got so many vacancies, you know. There's no wrong path, but I think what I've seen is probably a weighting more towards people coming from some of the disciplines that you're that you're in and and adding cyber later. So what happens after GE? I know you there's sort of a, a spin out or acquisition and so you move to something else that's still sort of in the GE ecosystem, but it's a separate company. It's a different company. Yeah, so GE had a couple of transitions. We, we transitioned from GE team control to GE automation. About seven years later, six and a half, seven years later, um, our division was actually sold off to uh, Maverick Technologies based out of uh, St. Louis area. So we went back to being a privately held company, um, went through really rapid growth with that company. Uh, we went through uh, significant headcount changes, significant increase in services. Um, I took the opportunity at that time to actually go to um, be the site manager in Heiser-Busch in York, New Jersey. And, and that's where we started to learn a lot more about networks, a lot more about programming in a high rate industrial environment where you're, you, know, you start watching 600 bottles go by in a minute. You better get your code and your network working right, or you got a lot of cleanup to do. <laughs> now, some would say that that was critical infrastructure. 
you know, power, it, you know, we all need some power, but the, don't interrupt the, the beer processing. Well, I, I've lived the full life cycle. So my first projects were in water and then I worked in beer. And about the time that InBev came in, InBev shut down all of our project work and I went over and I was doing project work with New York City DEP on the wastewater side. So I lived the full life cycle. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting. Looking at your career path, I mean, you touched, like you said, F&B, chemical, oil and gas, utilities, wastewater, different OEMs, you know, different PLCs and HMIs and, and control system environments. I mean, those years, you know, which is another decade of experience after GE, right, um, or more, was pretty diverse, which is pretty interesting where you are today instead of somebody maybe being, you know, exposed to or working at one of those OEMs, not to take away from that, but they might have a particular bias. You've seen a huge breadth. Yeah, yeah, I've gotten to live a lot. And as I've done recruiting, kind of to your point, you said you see a lot of people going OT or, you know, industrial controls into cyber. One of the reasons I ended up in this role is, we did an internal session. We brought in some folks to teach, you know, hey, what does OT cyber mean related to the uh, federal government requirements, the DOD, UFC? And, and in that process, what we got to hear a lot about is how do we secure it? How do we secure it? How do we secure it? Well, is able to take, you know, what have I done in the past? What did I stand up? Where did we fail? Where did we crash networks? So on and so forth. And if you know the inner workings of all of those, you just got to flip that mindset over. Right, I know how to make it work. Well, how do I bolt that security on or start to think about security as a whole? And then anybody who hasn't been to it, I always tell everybody, you know, you want to go for a really great experience if you're an OTI, go to Idaho National Labs where they'll, you know, run red team, blue team, and start blinking the lights on you and doing things that you never even thought you can do to a system. That that's kind of that moment of, okay, there's a there's a better way of doing this than than just making it available. Do you remember when cybersecurity, you know, first intersected? IML obviously is is a for operating technology cybersecurity. That's certainly a, a, a one of the older, more established places where there's you know stuff going before a lot of other places that you know people would would go and OEMs would go and take their equipment there and you know, a lot of interesting stuff uh, being sort of discovered and tested and evaluated. Um, and do you remember where cybersecurity first intersects with this? Where, where I really started seeing it is, and we didn't even call it cybersecurity at the time. We, you know, we really started to get a better focus on network segmentation, data flow controls as we moved into um, a lot of our industrial manufacturing clients. So it was taking on bigger, more progressive projects that had a lot of robotics, a lot of integration with uh, building systems for, say, humidity and temperature control, right, so we don't lose a product. And, and throughout that process, our, our networks got more complex. We did more segmentation. We were protecting owners' recipes. And it just started to change the conversation. We never, I can't even say necessarily ever used cyber until we came over into HDR because this role was developed that way. But by the time I had left Maverick at the time, I was running kind of large, key, complex projects that had all those aspects without using the word cyber. We were doing a lot more MEP integration. Uh, getting data out to replicated historians, you know, OS, OSI Pi in the um, uh, pulp and paper space instead of just giving, you know, the outsiders a connection like it was done 20 years ago. So we started to see all those pieces coming together. And that, that's really what started sparking the interest about, all right, well, we can do it the right way. Why aren't we? So take that integrator background, switch over to the engineer. Why aren't we? Well, if nobody, if the engineer you're working behind didn't put it into plan specs, yeah. client budgets, if, if it's not asked for, you're not going to bid the work that way. You're going to lose the work if you do. Yeah, and you, you hit the hot button. If the customer's not asking for it, which historically they 
clearly weren't. It, it, it yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't going to be on the list. Um, and now now if you just had to say today, how much is security part of the conversation in the bidding process? You know today. It, it's still changing. <laughs> so we so we serve I, I serve really all the markets, cross sector markets that HR does. So we I'll wake up one day, I'm working on a healthcare facility, I go work in a wastewater plant, um, work for the federal government. It is very inconsistent. Yeah, um, even where it's mandated, we still see folks running away. What I can tell you is change for us and the way we treated those. I, I have the opportunity where I'm doing 100% scope review of everything that we bring into the business. So we're actually looking at everyone, trying to identify those requirements, those regulations, um, so that we don't have a future mess. And if we get the early engagement, we're out asking questions. And it's really, we've changed the question. It is really asking them about risk. Do you want us to treat cyber like every other risk on the job? We we design for risk of flood, fire, building evacuation, tornado. Well, why don't we just add cyber to that? So a lot of the times that is the differentiator question is, hey, have you thought about this and do you want to do something? Sometimes it's the first time they've ever heard that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about all the engineers out there and the people doing some of your formative work that want uh, want or maybe they haven't thought of it yet, but they probably it's crossed their path. You know, they want to add cybersecurity to what they do, either as they're, you know, move into it as a principal focus or augment uh, what they do. You know, what are your recommendations for people that are uh, that haven't really had the exposure yet? They may know control systems and operating technology backwards and forwards. Uh, maybe, maybe maybe many systems like you did or maybe a particular system, whatever that is. How do they, what are some of the steps that might take? If we get this question, like I want to, I want to break into this space or I want to become more valuable in the space. What, what things come to mind um, for people? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, we, we struggle a lot with this question. There's a lot of paths and you can shotgun approach and, <laughs> and see all these different things, right? So a, a lot of times I, I, I refer people back to, you know, a couple of different books to get them um, changing their mindset. I read a book just last year, I liked it was, uh, this is how they tell me the world will end. And, and it kind of goes through the history of cyber and OT cyber specifically and all the different things that are going on. And um, I like to get people to start to think about that other mindset. Um, and if that's something they're really interested in still, because it is a little bit harder, right? It's not just plug it in, turn it on, make it work. Then I, I typically, like my staff, when I bring in entry-level staff, we put them on a career path or a training and cert path that follows the DOD's 8570M uh, certification path. So we get them into Network Plus, get them past Network Plus, move them up to Security Plus, move them up to GICSP. So we're focused on OT-specific certs. Um, but we've really struggled to find a very strong training to say, hey, this is it outside of getting them exposures, getting them hooked to mentors that can help them make that transition. Uh, we're very focused on a mentorship model where my seniors are tied up with juniors to take that 35, 40 years of controls experience and help them understand, hey, what was I taught in school? Well, what I was taught in school is how to defend a website or what NIST 853 means. What's the difference in OT? Because we don't respond the same way. We don't secure the same way. Um, it honestly, it's been one of our bigger challenges in, in trying to bring in new grads. Yeah, that makes sense. And you, you, you've, boy, there's a couple of threads I pull on there, but one is one of my hot buttons in a, in a program we're, we're working on developing mentorship. 
uh, I was going to ask you anyway what role that's played, both giving and receiving that, as far as you're concerned. But I'm curious also about your sort of discussion on institutionalizing it and saying this is not something that we're just going to kind of do, or a few of us will do, but that we're going to actually, you know, do get behind the idea of mentorship. To elaborate on that, I, I think it's huge. I think our community, you tell me if I'm wrong, it's been very open. People outside of even your own com companies, you know, somebody at someone else's company, but people are approachable in this community to give mentorship. And I don't, not, I don't always mean formal mentorship as in we're meeting once a week or once a month or whatever. There are those programs. I'm curious what you guys have implemented, but even just, hey, can I can I bend your ear about this? Uh, a lot of people are willing to do that and, and share a cup of coffee or adult beverage and, and, and share their experience or some aspect of something that you're interested in. Advice is out there to be gotten and, and even even formal mentorship is, is out there. Um, I, we could use a lot more of it. And that's why I, so I think CSA can play a role in that, I'm hoping. But what what yeah talk talk about that whole bundle uh, what you would put under the word mentorship it can mean a lot of different things yeah yeah there's a lot to unpack there right yeah. um, so we've got a couple of things that, that we do internally and externally um, internally we, we try to maintain a, a two to one three to one entry level to my senior staff and that's a that's a more formal program so my, my senior staff meets with everybody you know, weekly or bi-weekly and they're, they're hitting on hot topics. Me as a director, I meet with my overall team and, and juniors and um, we do actually, you know, lightning sessions on Fridays. And, and sometimes it's a cyber topic, sometimes it's a big picture topic. Um, but that's, you know, there's very much focus on, you know, the technical aspects of it. Um, as a business, we've got some other broader training programs that we're starting to fold cyber in. So there are um, PMs are receiving cyber training through, you know, our, our own internal university uh, to get them thinking about cyber as risk. Uh, so now we're kind of doing that that horizontal uh, training. Our team itself, though, I get mentorship internally through we we've established an OT cyber steering committee that's represented by the professional services directors from every business group. So that's kind of a bi-directional mentoring. So they're, they're telling me where they see their markets going, what's needed and how we can convey the right message because the message changes from market to market. And what we're doing from the cyber side is we're training them on some of the risks, some of the questions to ask. So we're, we're getting that bi-directional. And then outside of HDR, we actually just set this up not that long ago. I was meeting with some peers with one specific AE firm on like a quarterly basis. We just ran a session through Society of Military Engineers with NAFAC in Hawaii. It was a two-day cyber training event. And coming out of that, three or four of the largest AE firms we've committed to getting together at a director level and meeting quarterly to share best practices, lessons learned, um, broaden our community. Because what we realize is we're all swinging together if the four or five bigger ones are, are working together everybody's going to follow suit as we continue to elevate and raise our standard of care. Um, so we're, we're leveraging kind of like you said, it's, it's everywhere. We're really trying to leverage peers because cyber is a, it's a team event. If everybody's not thinking about it and that's, that's not my team, right? You heard me talk about project managers. We do the same thing with electrical engineers, mechanical engineers. We're touching as many touch points as we can. That's huge. And I'm, I don't know how many companies uh, are doing something that sounds as uh, as multi-touch comprehensive as you're you're talking about. I love it. I'm a big believer in that. It's a you know even within a company, it's an ecosystem. You know, let alone mm -hmm. the, the bigger ecosystem of all the different players. And we all we all need to touch it. And we certainly all need to be comfortable with it. Uh, have the working vocabulary that we can share. Uh, you know, um, 
a common understanding, even if it's not my primary job. Uh, and so that sounds like you're building those bridges. That's that's huge. Talk about lightning round real quick. How would somebody do that? How do you do it? So somebody says, oh, I don't even know what he's talking about, but they would like, you know, they want to implement something like that. Can you just break it down? Yeah, so, so for me, lightning rounds, we, we set up a, um, we use a combination of murals and whiteboards and things like that to drum up the ideas. Um, but the lightning round is intended to be nothing more than about a 15 to 20 minute touch point. So we're going to hit one very specific topic, maybe one or two slides at most with a small discrete group. So we, we may wake up one morning and say, hey, we're starting to see a lot of activity in the following market, or we know that NERC has updates coming in November. Let's take a lightning round and hit on these three updates that are coming from NERC. Let's talk about what they mean to us, what they're gonna mean to our clients and how we adapt. And, and we spend just that time period. So you're in, you're out, but you can make it fit your schedule almost every week unless you're out traveling. Rather than sitting and listening to a two hour or three hour presentation, break things down, make it easy. The reason we use like murals and whiteboards, though, is that I really want to hear from my team, you know, the mentees, what's on your mind, right? Let's, let's pull together some collective thoughts or anything out there. Um, actually, even attempt to try and do it a little bit blind, right? Is let anybody put anything in there so that somebody's not afraid to pose or ask a question that they might not ask otherwise. Yeah. Uh, so just, you know, sort of tactically, they're short, um, virtual uh, or in-person or both? Mostly virtual. So I hired all of my staff for skill and aptitude and they're scattered around the country. I have no more than two person, two people in any one office. Yeah. OK. So um, at time of day varies or it's set. We try and set it. Um, typically, we're Fridays around four o'clock because I have staff everywhere from East Coast on out through Hawaii. Um, okay. That's the time that we can actually land on for for time zones. Okay. Yeah. No. That. Yeah. Spanning time zones. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting up at three a.m. this morning, uh, or I guess tonight, uh, to support an event in in our region four in Asia Pacific. So yeah, time zones are tough. All right. So moving from uh, you know Maverick, let's go back sort of your to your path again to HDR. And HDR, I mean, now you're in a formal OT cybersecurity role. I mean, operational technology cybersecurity director, not a position that's been around very long, if I understand right. Um, you know, you're the second person, you know, in the position, if, if I understood that. Um, it didn't exist before. And so that is for an architectural engineering firm. That's interesting. I mean, that's uh, taking taking this sort of thing seriously. Uh, you know, we, we on our webcast today, we had a role, a, a new emerging role discussion, you know, different part of the industry. But that's what's happening, right? There are these new roles empowered, uh, you know, with, you know, care about this area and lead us all through, you know, lead us all through probably through some change. Yeah. yeah. So my initial transition to HDR, um, day one anyway, came in under the control systems team really to be a, a project manager, networking, subject matter expert. That was the role or, or the definition that we had at the time. Um, about a year into that, we hosted an internal session to better understand uh, Department of Defense, UFC 41006. One of our federal business group presidents went to a conference and heard, hey, you need to be 41006 compliant. Came back to the business and said, well, what are we doing? And everybody looked at each other. So I guess we're not doing anything. We hosted some internal training sessions. We, you know, we outsourced some partners, brought them in. At that point, we recognize the need not only for the DoD, but the fact that we design control systems of all types, anything from you know building automation, process control, to you know simple IoT type systems. 
you know, around the world. So we, we rapidly spun up a hiring campaign, build out a group because we realized, you know, if you just look at the volume of, of Department of Defense work that we do, it's going to take a full time team to do that. But at the same time, our executive leadership team went ahead and flagged this as a corporate enterprise risk and brought this into formal enterprise risk management, put a plan together that says, we're going to stand this up. It'll be a specific independent team. And the reason is we didn't want to have 100 people out trying to be cyber experts. So we have you know roughly 100 control systems engineers in the business, but they're very focused on construction level documents, things like that. We wanted to control the message, get everybody the right training, get everybody thinking and using the same words, making the same decisions with our clients. So it is um, risk controlled. AE firms are very risk adverse typically. This gave us a way to spin it up and get it exposed throughout the business and also take that that overall uh, guidance from the leadership team as to what we will or will not do as a firm and how we protect our firm and our clients. It's really a twofold exercise there. I think I mean, it's I'm fascinated by this. You're describing, I mean, tell me if you don't agree, you're describing how to build a security culture within a pretty large firm. Yeah. Um, it's systemic, not like, oh yeah, because uh, I, I can I can sort of make sure a couple of clauses are in this document before it goes out to a client in a proposal and you know we can check off the compliance. It's you, you, what I'm hearing from you and, and the discussions we, we'd had before our, you know, before this podcast interview sounds to me like building a security culture and that's exciting. I mean, that's, that's where we got to get. Yeah, it, it really is. That, that's probably one of my favorite things about where I'm at right now is we, we've got the attention throughout the business. We've got the support to do this the right way. Like every firm, right? We're going to run into our bumps and, and nicks along the way. Yeah. Um, but that really is the end goal is to build that as a culture. We want everybody thinking about as a risk that starts at, you know, how do we talk to our clients pre-pursuit? What do we want to do in the pursuit? How do we manage that through design construction level services? Um, and then realize that we're not going to be everything to everybody. So we, we do partner. We, we have several partners on board for the work that just doesn't fit us as an AE firm. We're, you know, we're big, we're large. I'm not going to be able to compete with the smaller firms that have niches in the market that are so much better at that niche. Yeah. So let's have the partner, let's hand it off and get the client to the right person. That's kind of that culture of, let, let's say more of the cyber culture, right? Let's look at cyber as a team, regardless of which hat you have. Let's bring the right hat to the table because not everything fits yeah. everybody. Yeah, awesome. I've asked this question many times. And I'm always sort of curious what comes to mind for people. If you could go back and you were sitting down, uh, David Verley, uh, vintage, uh, you know, vintage 2002, uh, any any advice, you know, 20 years ago, uh, career path, career advice you would give yourself? Um, the one thing I missed out on that, that I've always said I would have loved to go back and do is at the time, computer engineering was not a, there was not a big push for training and certs. So I never went out to fundamentals of engineering or EIT exam. So it put me behind on a path towards eventually getting to a PE, which may have allowed me to move to something like an architecture engineering firm earlier. Working for an integrator for all those years, right? You learn, there's a lot of on-the-job training. You see that a lot with integrators. So I never went out and got any of that formal training and service that probably started me a little bit slower to where I am today. And, and really, you know, kind of goes back to that first point I made with you, right? You put in, you get out what you put in. 
I did it for the internship that I missed that in early career where I never went out and said, hey, what does it take to invest in myself? Because I was so busy doing work. Nobody asked, nobody pushed for it. So I'd say, hey, you could go back 20 years, go get some of those earlier. You probably would have learned some cool things. Isn't the other side of that going all those years at Maverick and that many industries and that many different manufacturers and, you know, PLCs and systems from different OEMs today, I imagine that suits you pretty well because you touch your, your, your organization touches lots of different kinds of projects and you actually have not only exposure, but some level of understanding across many different verticals and many different systems. That's got to be super helpful. It, it is. I, I love having the diverse platform background. Yeah. So, you know, for, from all the years of doing that, I understand, you know, how DCS works. I know a lot about the ports and protocols of all the different systems. It is extremely helpful in this. But I was self-taught when it came to things like networking. So, you know, rather than going out and getting a CCNA or, you know, really looking at Network Plus, you know, I, I knew routing. I knew firewalls from setting them up not from any theory that said I was doing it the right way. You, you put them in long enough and you're you're plucking your finger and you're plucking your fingering and you know a little bit of that trading might might have actually gave us a better end product. Was it, it where we wanted it? Yeah, we probably got it there by the time it was done, but there's probably a lot easier way of doing it. <laughs> yeah, that makes that makes sense. That makes sense. So oh, I mean, people could uh, you know if we're talking to anybody who might be a, you know at an integrator with that great diverse experience, add add some additional education, formal, informal certifications, and, and round out that um, information technology, cybersecurity side of things maybe earlier in the career path, leading to leading to valuable positions, right? I mean, you know, I, I, I think the term, I didn't coin it, that people have used for somebody who really understands operating technology and cybersecurity and network and IT, understands all that, not understands one of them and kind of has some exposure to the other, but the more you understand fundamentally how all that works together and the differences, that's a unicorn. That's a, a rarer breed and uh, harder to find. But people can make themselves, if they commit to it, they can make themselves into those unicorns. Yeah. yeah we talk about it in my recruiters all the time. We've got open positions. I say, all right, it's time to start the purple unicorn hunt again. They, hey, yeah, we, we can't find them. They're not out there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more than just a unicorn. I'm looking for that purple unicorn, right? I need somebody with both backgrounds, preferably with a few of the certifications, and we're not going to find them. So I got to pick the the best of what I think I can get and, and we'll train them the rest of the way. Yeah. Is that trademark by the way, or can I use purple unicorn going ahead? You can take purple unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm going to, you know, that's fantastic. Uh, it it, it yeah, takes it even another level. Uh, but yeah. I think that's, that's one of those sort of gold nuggets today is people, anybody who's listening is like, boy, I could get, I could become a purple unicorn, and, but I need to do some deliberate things. Um, but we're not going to solve this problem, meaning people could become make themselves quite valuable um, in, in a time frame where it still matters. We're not we're not almost there. We've almost got all the personnel you know, positions covered. We, in fact, have a lot of vacant positions uh, that we are filling with whoever we can fill them with. That's that's the truth. That's the ground truth of, of where we are market wise. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, we're, we've had open positions for two, three years and, and struggling to find them. And. Um, actually went to the DOE conference, like DOE cyber conference in Portland. And one of the keynotes there talked about Department of Energy and the fact that they're going to be hiring, I want to say he was said 6,000 a year to keep up with where the, the grid and the research is going related to OT and cyber. Yeah. Um, we're not graduating 6,000 OT cyber people a year. We're, we're going to be, we, we got to build them. Yeah. 
yeah it makes it makes sense well looking to the looking to the future what are you excited about personally and maybe this is the same stuff maybe it's not what do you what would you would you say here's an area that i think is emerging you know whether you're personally excited about or doing more in it but someone making earlier decisions in their career path that's like yeah go get some experience in this area uh you know what 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 are you excited about slash where where could somebody start investing some time to be I hate to use the term on the cutting edge, you know, be be more valuable. Guys, people ask that. We, we, you know, like, should I learn about AI and and blockchain? You know, buzzwords, yes. But you know, where where can I become? You know, what's if I was looking ahead, which is hard to do. You know, what would I start studying now? Uh, that's going to be, uh, you know, obvious. You know, later that you know it could could make me quite uh, quite indispensable as a team member. Yeah. So one of the things I've been tracking and monitoring is. Um, not only AI, but where are we going with digital twin and net zero initiatives? Uh, when, we, when I start thinking about zero uh, net zero initiatives and the digital twin both coming up at the same time, right? we're in early conversations kind of in both spaces, especially when we think about digital twins outside of the manufacturing and machine world. Digital twin in, in our world, we're designing a building and we're going to design a high rise and, and we start to look at that net zero goal. Our digital twin can be a model not only in design, but for that long-term sustainability, maintenance, security, because we're going to start integrating sensors. Our net zero is bringing in more and more and more systems to those buildings. So where, where would I tell people to start looking? You want to start fresh, you know, learn a lot about how all that's going to come together because we're going to start talking about, you know, cloud-hosted digital twin, IoT integration into that. You know, how does that affect systems in a building when we head for net zero? Our traditional buildings are what? They're HVAC, electrical, and elevator security system. What happens when I add solar on the roof, um, self-tinting windows, self-dropping shades, um, movement um, tracking so we don't heat and cool rooms that are not used, wastewater in the basement. So as you look at the number of sensors coming online, the fact that we want to bring these into models to be more intelligent, I see us starting to look at a really rapid change in how we use technology. And, and even for me, I look and go, where, where am I going next? Well, I better learn a lot more about the cloud than I know today, because I think we're going to have to start leveraging some of that just to get that compute horsepower. And a traditional controls guy, we don't like clouds, right? Yeah. We, we, we did not use the cloud for many, many, many years. We isolated, we air gapped, we did everything we could to stay away from the cloud. And, I, and we're at that point in, in my mind, where we're going to start seeing a little bit of change, especially when we start thinking about analytics and you know, you use the term big data, um, we're going to have to start leveraging that better understanding it so it doesn't become a bigger threat to us because our, our clients are expecting it. I, boy, oh boy, I think you, you are correct about that. Um, and I interview a lot of people, I meet a lot of people, I hear people speak a lot in this role that I'm in now. And I love this because I get to absorb so many different viewpoints. And what you're saying is what other people are also saying. And, and there's concrete bottom line, you know, numbers that say some of this behavior is going to happen. So we, we, you know, some hardcore, sometimes some hardcore cybersecurity individual like, you know, no, you know, that's the, the you know, the non, the Luddite approach. It's you stop debating, not maybe, you know, some of these emerging technologies, but how we're going to do it. Architecture, proper approach, mitigate risk not spend a lot more time on let's not connect to that or let's not use the cloud you know that that concept there may be specific applications risk is really really high and adoption of some technologies might be low or non-existent you have to do a project by project and you know uh, uh they're all different but in general moving toward the direction you're saying and too much money at stake too much 
uh, increased efficiency and, and, and new benefits and new building owner benefits, you know, to just use that one piece that you're talking about uh, that people want. And they're and, and, and they're not going to not want them because it's not secure. So we just have to spend our time on how to do it, not whether to do it, I think. Yeah, I think the other part of that, and I brought it up in a conference not that long ago, is I think it's going to help us close some of our skills gap. We're, we're transferring some of the things that we would have had to do if we maintained all that on site. Right? We're going to leverage the fact that we've got a data center, somebody else taking care of the hardware, those types of things. It'll, it'll allow us to, to take what we have, the limited skills we have, to actually maintain the facility instead of trying to be everything to everybody. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, this has been awesome. David Brearley, Operational Technology Cybersecurity Director at HDR. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I always like to end this with uh, you know something uh, that I have borrowed from another show. It's called the Pabot Questionnaire. Uh, it was uh, used by uh, James Lipton on the stage of the Inside the Actor Studio show for decades. It may still be. He has passed, uh, unfortunately, and uh, I think there might be a new host, but I watched his show for years. He'd inter- you know, be interviewing some of the greatest actors and actresses of, uh, of time on the stage, and he'd, he'd end it with the show. And it was from a French show before that, hence the name. Uh, and I believe it's word for word the same thing, probably 50 years old if, I, if I'm doing my math right. Um, and so I like to end the show with the exact same uh, questionnaire if you're up for it. Sure. Okay. What is your favorite word? Fun. We've got to have fun. <laughs> what is your least favorite word? Oh, that's a hard one. I, I always go back to two words. And I hate doing two words, but I can't. What turns you on, creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I love passion, passion for what we do at work, in life. We've got to have passion. What turns you off? Uh, Negativity, falsehood. What is your favorite curse word? Oh, I'm good for uh, oh shit. (laughs) What sound or noise do you love? I love the waves. I love the sound of waves. What sound or noise do you hate? When the fire alarm wakes you up at three o'clock in the morning chirping. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Profession other than my own that I would like to attempt. You know, I, I'd like to own a restaurant. And what profession other than your own would you least not you would not like to do? Anything that requires extreme detail. Let's say accountant. <laughs> And last but not least, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Congratulations, you've made it. You live. I feel like the cyber career should just be an automatic checkbox that says you're in. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, thank you, David Brearley, Operational Technology Cybersecurity Director at HDR. Thanks for uh, spending the time with us today and for what you're doing in the community. I loved hearing you know your story, especially with the cybersecurity culture you're you're working on building uh, at your company. Uh, we got to see more more uh, activity like that across lots of companies. So thank you again for uh, for all that and for, for being part of uh, the CSA podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Be well. Thanks.